What's up, my little mistakers? Welcome to the Humor in Mistakes podcast, where we encourage everyone to find humor in their mistakes. I'm Donovan McNeil, and each week my co-host Andrew Gleason and I have a guest on our show who opens up about mistakes that they've made in the past. And Andrew and I laugh at them with the hopes that you, our little mistakers, will learn from mistakes and realize that mistakes are just fine. First things first, shout out to our sponsor, Trolley Stop on Franklin Street in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Go get yourself a delicious hot dog from them and tell them humor and mistakes sent you. You'll get a discount. Our guest this week is UCB alum and current teacher at the Pitt Chapel Hill, Corey Brown. Corey is a very funny and humble dude. He talks about relocating to New York and then humbling himself and moving up in the comedy ranks in the new location, which was New York. We talk about him realizing that he needed to stop drinking and moving back to North Carolina. He loves to help people. He's always down to answer a question and then just philosophize, if that's a word. Um, So check this episode out. Uh, He's a great dude. Thanks for getting on the show, Corey. Hello, my little mistakers, and welcome to the Humor in Mistakes podcast. Uh, before I introduce my guest, I just want to say that uh, he didn't like y'all's name. He giggled at your name a little bit when I said little mistakers. Uh, but I want to introduce Corey Brown. Having started out at DSI, y'all don't even know what those acronyms mean. He was here for a little bit, then he moved up to New York, where he did 12 years of improv there. What's up, dude? Hello, little mistakers. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> it's good. It's good. So everything's going real well. Took a nine-mile run this morning. Nine? Yeah. I can't. I can't. Fa- I'm a very short-distance runner. Like, I got to see where I'm running to. Well, you know, C, C is objective, but I like to know where the finish line is. Right. Yeah, I get that. I get that. If it's too far away, then it it's not in it's not reality to you. So how can you reach it? I'm like a baby. Like it, I don't yeah. have object permanence when it comes to uh, to running. Who's who's that uh, X Men who uh, can teleport? Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. So you're kind of like Nightcrawler. He can only teleport to places he can see visually. You can only run. So you're like <laughs> a very weak Nightcrawler. Yeah, but I like that. I'm a superhero though. Kind of. Yeah. Might paint myself blue. Here's a little bit of a thing from the sound guy. Right, I'm gonna need you guys to talk in like a little bit closer. I'm gonna turn you down because we sound like we are in either a a cave or Liza Minnelli's vagina. How do you know what that sounds like? Did you not watch the roasts? That was all of her jokes about how big her vagina was. Uh, well, welcome to the show. Thank you. I don't watch roasts. They make me uncomfortable. Really? Yeah, because I know everybody's like in on the jokes. But you can still see real jokes land on a person, but they have to take it in stride. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't do that. If I was being roasted, I'd be like, okay, too far, <laughs> too much. Apparently that happened with Paul Walker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were like, Mm-mm, cut it, cut it. Uh, yeah, I'm not a roast guy either. I don't like the roast jokes. Really? No. I liked um, Andy Samberg and uh, Norm MacDonald's take. Andy Samberg had every joke turn around on him. Yeah. Har- Harris Whittles and uh, Greg Giraldo walk into a bar to pick me up because I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. It's like a fun, fun thing, but not yeah. a mean thing. I don't like yeah. mean things. It's like that in prank shows. I can't get behind them. Oh, I love prank shows. Oh, you're a monster then. Because <laughs> you just said you can't get behind mean things, and pranks are literally mean-spirited things. They can be fun. <laughs> Uh, the kid from Stranger Things has a new one on Netflix uh, called Prank Encounters. No, can't get down with that. See, I uh, I grew up watching rap battles. I used to do like you, yo mama battles in high school. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, are there a couple times when I went and cried in the car? Like that phrase where you like you're like that one cut a little too deep. What's he just taking his drive? It you, probably you took a yo mama joke too hard before. I have like there's times you can cross the line like. <laughs> I think I, I think I, I told you when my mom came out when I was in seventh grade and I told this girl, I'm not going to say her name. 
And she told the whole school. And then I lost your mama for like two years in a row. Right. Yeah. Right. So. I, I say you say this girl's name. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan <her>. Wright. <laughs> Sweet. Morgan Wright. Morgan Wright, we're going to dox the shit out of you. <laughs> dox you so hard. We're bringing back your past for 20 years ago. We're going to ruin your current state of being. We're going to find where you work. We're going to bring you down. I hope you teach. I hope you're a teacher right now. I'm gonna no, she's find a wonderful out. human being. Whatever. She's a wonderful she's human being. to me. <laughs> <laughs> she works in the medical field. She's a, a doctor's assistant. What She's a doctor. Doctor. I'm gonna dox the shit out. Of her. <laughs> uh, my, uh, I had one uh, traumatic one. Uh, so all the kids in my school would make the beep, beep, beep sound like whenever a truck backing up. Well, or someone dying. They were yeah. They were making fun of the heart monitor my mom had in the coma. I mean, if she wanted to be in one, then that's a different thing. You know, like if she was like, put me in a coma, then this story <laughs> has a positive outcome. Can we not request comas? Uh, you can't. You can be. You can request medically medically induced comas. I I think you have to have a reason behind it. You can't just roll up into the hospital and be like, knock me out. See, I think that should be like a package deal with vacation days. Like I'm gonna take my vacation, and by the way, oh yeah, knock me out for a week. Yeah, 100% on sci-fi movies. I'm like, oh, I want to be the dude that gets put asleep in the frozen tanks right. for like eight months and wakes up <laughs> on the other side of the galaxy. That's me 100% of the time. I'd do that. Like you'd be surprised. Like shit, the new iPhone 11's out. Like you, yeah, oh, yeah. My cool. first thing about flying <laughs> through space is if the next iPhone, iPhone. came out. <laughs> oh sweet. Oh man, the pixel rating on this camera is outrageous. Corey, look outside. There's Saturn. Fuck that. No. <laughs> Apple is not a cult. <laughs> Corey Brown, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like when did you first get into comedy? Uh, I was 20 years old. So. Uh, many moons ago, uh, my roommate Jenny Stencil, who owns the Idiot Box in Greensboro. Shout out to Jenny! Shout, Shout out, out to, to Jenny. Jenny! Shout out! Um, she was doing comedy sports at the time. Uh, comedy sports was a short form theater on Franklin Street, uh, and she was involved in it. And she said, "Come see my show." And it was just one of those things. Saw a show, was like, "I can do that," uh, and signed up for classes like the next day. Um, and was terrible at it for a few years. A few years of being terrible at it. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's, I'm happy about that. Yeah. Now that I know that you were once bad, it makes me feel good because you're good now. Thank you. Uh, little mistakes, that's a life lesson When you first start out Corey's very good now So when you first start out something, you're going to be bad Yeah, know? little mistakes. <laughs> Don't let it stop you Chase that dream that's one of the good things about improv is it definitely weeds out uh, a type of person who, uh, like, if you can't stick with it, then you're, you would never be good at it to begin with. I dropped out of my first improv class as well because, like, it was just so terrifying. Yeah. But uh, I think it, I don't know, it, maybe it, it attracts a certain type of person. Who, yeah, we call it the Island of Misfit Toys. <laughs> <laughs> so the people do, who don't have a necessary box to fit in anymore, improv kind of draws those people in. Uh, and the community is very vast and wide. And it's like, oh, cool. I don't know where I fit. Here is a bunch of people that don't fit. So we're all round peg square holes. I like that. I, I would say that's why I took up improv. I was like, I'm single now. Uh, oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you were like, check out all the honeys. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think who it weeds out the most are people who want to be funny like already coming in and they're like oh i'm gonna crush this and then they realize like their brand of humor wasn't funny all along and they just back away or they get past that and then strip away what they thought was funny and then reapproach it with the tools that we actually do teach which i think is good <laughs> i did not know that but that is true i had to look myself in the mirror yeah 90 percent of sex jokes like that's what was my whole would you say like the first two years of improv all i did was try to make blue humor yeah oh wow i did not know that okay so you started doing so you what made you eventually move to new york uh so multiple things so i did then shift from short form to long form and i had seen long form at festivals uh and then 
I always had my eye on New York because I was going up there to see their festival. And I always felt the UCB was like the big place or the upcoming big place because Chicago still already kind of dominate the improv scene and New York was growing. So I was like, oh, UCB is great. Uh, and then, you know, that fear of moving kept me here for so long. Then I fell in love and like an idiot followed somebody to New York, <laughs> uh, which in a good way was like, I don't think I ever would have done it had she not had been moving. I think I was too afraid of actually doing it, but love is a powerful, idiotic thing that we all fall into. Uh, everybody, all you little mistakers, don't don't fall in love is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so yeah, I followed her up there, and yeah, for about a year we were together, uh, and then we broke up after that. Um, but the UCB, like the 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 effect of that was then becoming involved in what I felt at the time was the greatest theater, the UCB. So, very happy in the end. R.I.P. It's still alive. One hundred percent still. Oh, that was the relationship. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How long were you together before you moved? Like four months. Oh my god! But it was it was like uh, it. So there was there's a backstory to it because like I had let the most important person in my life prior to that move away after we had dated for like a year. Mm -hmm. uh, she moved away and I lived with so much regret of not following that person because I was so in love with her that this person was moving too. And I was like, I'm not making that same mistake. I was overcorrecting. Yeah. And, but like I said, it still ended up being the right choice in the end. It got me to where I needed to be. Uh, if I never would have gone, I would have been sitting here to this day going like, Ugh, I should have gone. So even though it was very short, to make that choice. It was the right choice at the time. Um, I don't know if you saw, but Andrew was looking at me several times during your story, cause I am, uh, huh? I'm gonna, I'm, I don't hide anything from the little mistakers. I am currently in your same position where I might need to move for a relationship to work out. And uh, he kept looking at me as you were telling your story. So yeah. Uh, how long have you been dating? Uh, like four or five months, but we broke up because they moved, and now we still hang out. And it's like... Uh, and where where would this be moving to? Washington, D.C. Okay, one, Washington, boo. Uh, although, <laughs> World Series champions. Uh, so maybe that's a good thing. Uh, so I'll say, in my experience, when you move to a new place for or with somebody, you both become a newer version of yourself because you are surrounded by new people, new experiences, new lives. And those two people that you become might not be compatible anymore. The people you are here are, doesn't mean the people there are. So you are risking that just solely based on you moving, you become a new you. Take that into effect. See, I think I, you should do it. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. Also, Trump's there, dude. Yeah, like he's he's near, but Obama is too. Yeah. Apparently, you can't go on the street, but like maybe they'll make an exception. Like if I jog, I'm thinking if like I jog there around daily, uh -huh. like somebody be like, oh, he's cool. He's jogged for like two weeks and not done anything. DC, then I can take a detour. DC has a comedy scene too. I mean, it's not. They have a nice festival. I think their festival's like thirtieth year. Yeah, sure. Wit. Yeah. W I T is a really great theater. It's a pretty decent sized scene. I mean, it's much bigger than here, that's for sure. I don't know. I uh, I did that on a lot of a smaller scale. I moved from Raleigh to Chapel Hill with somebody, and then mm. even that was enough to. Uh, then you became too liberal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, just living with somebody, man, changes things. Mm hmm. Well, I'm not trying to make the same mistake I've done in the past. Like, before I broken up with someone because it was too long distance, like, uh, in Wilmington, this girl lived downtown, and she was, like, 20-some minutes away, and I was like, that's just too far to work out. So, ended things then. I get it. Yeah. That is gas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, you moved. What was it like being in 
a place where you because I'm sure you got on Mr. Diplomat here and to give perspective that's like one of the best teams it was one of the top tier teams here so yeah. what was it like going from like top tier to like having to start all over in a new place uh Rank number one, baby. <laughs> Shout out, RIP. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's everything expected to be. Like, you go big fish, small pond, small fish, big pond. Um, but I, I went in there and stripped my ego down immediately. And was like, I'm ready to start over. Uh, they offered, because I had so much experience, they offered to start me in their level two instead of level one. And I, I personally said, no, I want to start in level one because I felt the networking of a community was as important as classes themselves. So I started level one, went through the classes. Uh, I caught some teacher's eyes. I was, I was very lucky. Uh, I caught some teacher's eyes who had my back and supported me throughout. I immediately was allowed to be an intern. So I started taking classes for free. So I was able to speed through the classes within a year and then I was cast on Harold Knight with my first audition which is outside the normal expectations of performing up there usually it takes a few years before they even like kind of give you a sniff to get on their Lloyd Knight which didn't exist when I was there but that's like your their incubator program uh, so I wouldn't say I became uh, egotistic but I definitely like I felt a lot of I felt I was given something before I was ready. So I got on to Harold Knight and was like, holy crap, this is too soon for me. So it took me about a year on Harold Knight before I felt like comfortable performing up there. I went into every show terrified, even though prior to I had improvised here for almost 10 years. There, the pressure was there. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> uh, but definitely makes improvising now a lot easier because I've already gone through the battle. Do you have like a hype up song? No, I isolate. Oh, you isolate. Yeah, okay. I have to go somewhere by myself and just sit alone. If I have too much stuff going around, like I can't watch improv before I'm about to go on stage. It, it just puts me in a weird headspace. So if you ever see me leave during your set, it's not because I dislike the set. It's because I just have to go be alone for a few minutes. Um, yeah, it's just clearing my head. I don't like think about my set. I don't think about improv at all. I just process everything outside of my life so I can go on stage with a clear mind. Like my bills are paid. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Has my cat been fed? <laughs> oh, shit. My cat's been fed. He's been dead 10 years. <laughs> yeah, so that's my hype up. Uh, it's weird because sometimes I'll be on a team that wants to warm up and like, I want to be such a team player that I'll go warm up with them. Uh, and then I'll try to find a little space to myself to go do that. But sometimes it doesn't work out. Become a mom, mime, like make yourself a box and like no one can get in. Right. That, right. Right. <laughs> and then everybody, because they're improvisers, yes, they end up <laughs> exactly, they have next to me. And I'm like, you are making this work. <laughs> All of you are terrible at this. Uh, also, work on your object work. We're about to go on stage. <laughs> like, if you're going to build a wall, build a wall. You need bricks, guys. You can't just make the wall. Now you're walking through it. Who are you? Oh, uh, what is the base reality of this podcast? <laughs> that is... That's the thing I started... Like, when I see people walk through objects that they created, I never noticed it until, like, a year ago. And now I can't unsee it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to turn that off. Like, I just want to... I'm like, watch the scene. They're new. But sometimes people just walk through a table. I'm like, there's a damn table there. Man. Yeah, what it. don't you get? <laughs> you were just leaning on it. Exactly. What's going on? Sometimes I just want to leave the scene. It drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> that is like top two biggest pet peeves. Somebody walking through your environment work? Yes. <laughs> You're being serious? I'm 100% serious. Sometimes I'm just like, All right, scene's over. I'm you saw me get Doritos out of this vending machine. <laughs> you just walked through it. Now you're covered in chip dust. I know. <laughs> the vending machine only takes quarters and dimes. You clearly put a nickel in there. That's right. how. Start overly justifying with a shit that doesn't even make 
It's not relevant to the scene. Like, <laughs> oh, now, come on, Mr. Lawyer. Why you got to phase through solid objects? <laughs> Now's not the time to use your X-Men powers. Yeah. I now we're back it. to Nightcrawler. There we go. Uh, what is, what's your pet peeve? Your pet peeve? Uh, people not... People come in, people not committing to the actual reality, but that's like a higher level thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, when you can clearly see that someone had an agenda when they come on, and maybe it wasn't initiated properly, and they keep trying to sure, and then unnecessary walk-ons. Unnecessary. Can we talk about meta shit too? I'm okay with if it fits, but I feel like there should be. Like a like the black card, you know, like there people that give people a black card. Yeah. I feel like there should be a meta card. Like, hey, you are officially allowed to do meta stuff because you know when to properly do meta jokes. <laughs> we get it. Yeah, but like, who watches the Watchmen? Like, <laughs> who's handing the meta cards out? <laughs> who gave them the ultimate authority <laughs> that meta is okay? I just, I just, I'm almost done with Watchmen. Pretty. Uh, the show? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, no, no. I'm talking about, well, the comic. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I like it. Yeah. Did, have you? I've seen the movie and read the book. Okay. I read the book after the movie, though. So I'm like the reverse fan. I like the movie better. Okay. But it's because I read the book second. So it, it when it changes, like those slight changes when you see them in reverse, then you like the original stuff better. I haven't yes, seen the it's it's a, I haven't seen the movie yet. I have, I'm you haven't only, seen the movie? No, I'm just wow, finishing up the you comics. Must not love blue dicks. <laughs> yeah, dude. What the oh, they show it? Oh hell yeah! Dude. Okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> they definitely show it's it in the comics. So comic. blue, it's my favorite color. Dick. <laughs> Speak about isolation. How would you like that power, man? Just you're on like planet X nineteen. Oh man, but he can't isolate because he's literally everywhere in the world at all times. Yeah, true. <laughs> I feel like that can cause a lot of arguments. Like he uses his power. Like if you're arguing with someone and you just phase them into another room to like stop the argument, I feel like that causes more of an argument. If I phase you in the middle of an argument, would you be more mad? Yeah. <laughs> if you phase me somewhere else mid argument, if, yeah. And another. <laughs> God damn. Ah no, I don't like this strip club. Yeah. <laughs> Normal. Yeah, if I phase you to your favorite place during an argument, does that help? No. <laughs> no, because I've got points to make. Are they? Are you there? No, no. Like I'm like you just phase me away. You know, like that point where you're like, we need to take. Oh, uh, we both need to chill out. Your chill out place could be Chuck E. Cheese. No, it can't. You can't do that because then you leave the. You don't give an expectation on when you're returning to that conversation, which is only going to cause anxiety in the person that you face. Because they need, they need to process what just happened for them to get over it. And now all they can do is sit and still uh, sweat in it while you are fine. So it's, just, it's killing the argument. For I would immediately game. pull out a cell phone and just start texting you. I'm different. You, If you know me well enough. Wait, which iPhone are we at at this point? <laughs> if you know me well enough and you phase me to like the front of the line at the Cyclone at Carowinds. Wow, what a shitty ride. <laughs> First of all, I love it. I love it. That, that ride is so garbage. I love it. I know, like, you know what? I'm going to cool off on the cyclone. Phase me to a roller coaster, you know, that's, like, not scary, but it just hurts my neck. <laughs> you know, I totally get it. Like, if we're in the middle of a heated argument and you phase me to Fuddruckers. Yeah. <laughs> Lil Wayne concert. Like, how can I be mad? I didn't have to pay to get in. You describe nothing but things I don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. Where would you like to be phased to in order to stop an argument? A WWE match. <laughs> Front row seat. Just like, oh, shit. Hogan, why is Hogan back? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but you can't phase somebody away. But like I said, it doesn't end his argument because he's actually still there because he can perceive all reality. Yeah. So you just start yelling into the air. He still hears it. Yeah. While you're enjoying Hulk Hogan. I wish. I wish. Would you rather be omnipotent or impotent? You would have to define those for me to give you a solid answer. Be everywhere at once, all times. Uh, or uh, Can't get it up? Yeah. Definitely want to be can't getting it up. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Everything. Well, you also wouldn't be able to ever have kids. Yeah, that's fine. I don't hmm. want kids anyway. You don't want kids? No. I do. 
Cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's hard to admit sometimes. No, I think it. I think it's fine to want kids. I'm just at that place in my life where I'm like, you know, I'm I'm comfortable with my my own freedoms. Uh, and knowing a kid in my life will take that away, I think I value it too much. Being an uncle has kind of been perfect for me. That is cool. See how I turned a ridiculous question into a a real truth. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good strategy for an interview uh for me it's like i'm at that point where i like have baby fever gross so it's like <laughs> <laughs> well here's some baby tylenol <laughs> yeah. watch youtube videos a little too long with babies in it like i just want a baby on another note no okay. let's sit in that side <laughs> Just sit in the awkwardness of me watching. Uh, yeah. There's want. a whole community of us. Like, not dudes, but like people that just watch baby videos, oh. like who want kids. There's a whole community <laughs> of people who want children. Oh my God, it's fine. We're finally free to come out and talk about it. Our biggest pastime is talking shit about Octo Mom. Really? She doesn't appreciate it at all. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. God, could you imagine that news? <laughs> hey, you're about to have eight children. No. <laughs> Peace out. Yeah. I'm out. Like, the scene is over. I've signed up for three maximum. Like, that's where I'm mentally prepared. If anybody was ever told me they were pregnant, three max. No. And then, are you? have you been around or taken care of a baby? Yes. And it's tough it's tough so now imagine like so you know the sleep cycle of a baby is insanity now imagine you have another baby whose sleep cycle is different than the other one you no longer have sleep Very or true. rest or personal time or anything because they do not operate simultaneously if they did fine they don't you're trapped you're ruined you're an octomom now you got <laughs> eight different sleep cycles and you're one person it's not that it's preferred. It's that I'm mentally prepared. Like it's like it's like it, not mentally prepared to be able to handle. It. It's like I won't get upset. Okay. It's like because uh, you know there's a chance you could get someone pregnant. So it's like if they tell you you're having three, you can't be like fuck. You have to still be like appreciative. Like oh yeah, we're still having nah, babies. You can totally be real. <laughs> you can be real. You can totally be like fuck. That's not what I want. <laughs> I want one baby. What are our options? Then the doctor can say you can have them or you can do. You can talk to Planned Parenthood. Uh, <laughs> fully full support Planned Parenthood. My name is Corey Brown. Check out my Twitter. Uh, 100% behind. Done some marches. Uh, but, like, yeah, I, I would have the talk. I really would. Like, can we, like, honestly, can we financially handle it? Or are we going to be a burden on these children's lives and growth? Can we do it? Which is all, I feel like, yeah, uh, for, I think dudes don't really have a realistic, uh, grasp on uh what to expect with all of that stuff maybe they should make like a like a dude centric movie about parenthood like like rambo first steps oh three men and a baby yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh also like we don't have to deal with the postpartum stuff true imagine a woman going through three children's postpartum while also trying to navigate if you're going back to work now there's three babies do they stay home do you stay home like that's so much to be involved in. First of all, I'm staying home. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I'm a stay-at-home dad, and to be honest, it's only going to be about a loss of 25 percent of a household income. I'm marrying up. Um, <laughs> Man, I was. I'm this, only marrying down. Yeah. <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> I'm marrying down so hard. <laughs> Dude, I was so surprised. It's going to sound stupid, but I was so surprised. Like, like when I was watching my sister, like my my niece is three, and I like realized if my sister doesn't do her job, the baby will die. Like, it was just like, you have to take care of it. It was weird to think about. Like, it depend on her for everything. Like, I just, mm -hmm. I didn't get the reality of that situation until I saw it. Yeah, it, it's terrifying. Yeah. Uh, I'm now the, I forget the term, uh, but so if both my brother and my sister-in-law die, I become the parent. You're the godfather? No, there's, there's a legal term. Oh, for it. okay. Uh, uh, that, yeah, I, I, be, I become sole 
heir oh, to children. Oh, I own the child. <laughs> uh, I'll just say it that way. Uh, I get extra tax cut. Yeah. But now there's this f- out a new fear in my life. Like, I never wanted my brother to die. But now the fear of my brother dying also has this child now in my life. And I am not financially in a place to have a child. I would have to figure out and readjust my whole life. So not, not only do I lose my brother, but now I have to figure out this way for this kid to survive and prosper and go to school and figure out all that stuff. And I take the word butter and do 25 minutes of improv. <laughs> That's who I am. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you have to take care of this kid? Cool. Can I have one word suggestion? <laughs> Do you find yourself like making sure your brother's extra healthy? Like, hey, why don't you drink some more water? Put the chicken wings <laughs> down. Like, I mean, don't I, drink too fast. <laughs> I do do the extra things that I can to make sure he's getting rest. Okay, but that's about it. Eight hours, bro. Eight hours. <laughs> he don't get close to that. Right. Okay. So, where where were you from? Uh, born in Erie, Pennsylvania. Okay. Terrible place. <laughs> I mean, really terrible place. Probably, like, whenever I go visit it now, I'm like, thank God my dad got us out of there before I have real memories. Because I, I go see it now, and I'm like, this is a backwards, northern, redneck community that's very racist. And, like, if I would walk around with my birth mother, who was white, it would be nothing but people staring at us. Like, we were attacking the world. So, yeah, it's terrible. Also, fuck eerie. <laughs> <laughs> fuck eerie. Can, can human mistakes get behind that? Little mistakers. Yeah. Well, do they eerie. have an improv theater? Uh, no, they do have a shitty stand-up space. We might want to perform there one day. Yeah. We're, 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 we're afraid to take strong stances. It's not, you know, we, we got to be careful. We can't d- just diss you know, potential performance. Like, what about our Pennsylvanian listeners out there? Yeah, if you're in Erie, Pennsylvania, first of all, how did you find this podcast? <laughs> Second of all, right? <laughs> Why aren't you a minor? <laughs> not a child. Not a child. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And you moved from Pennsylvania to NC. Mm-hmm. Raleigh? Uh, straight to Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill for work. Yeah. Uh, my father uh, used to work for GTE, which is now Verizon. Uh-huh. Uh, they closed the chapter that was in Erie. So my dad was kind of floating between jobs for a while. And then they opened up a base in Durham, and he took it. So my dad was down here for a year before the family was able to move down as well. Came down and ruined it for him. Yeah. Give a brother and a sister. Sister-in-law. Sister-in-law, okay. Cool. Yeah. So you're in New York. Um, how are things going up there, like, in general? Like, did you did you love it? Did you hate it? Uh, I mean, it was like moving to a different world, so it took a lot of adjusting. Uh what I loved about it was there's millions of people around you all the time, but if you want to, it can feel like you're alone always because everybody, everybody's hustling and everybody's really focused on their own lives, so nobody cares about you, which can be both good and bad. Like When you're looking for people to care about you, it's hard to find them, but when you're looking to disappear in a crowd, it's easy. And that's kind of what I wanted at the time was just to find myself and zone out, not, not have like, I know I'm a commitment phobe. That's why I don't want kids. Uh, but like to have a crowd of people I didn't have to commit to was awesome for a while. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, man. I like it. Give it a try <laughs> in DC. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, okay, so you eventually got back here. Was there like, uh, did you what, what made you get down here? Come back uh, to so a couple things. Uh, my big mistake is what led me down here. Okay, uh, as well as the birth of my nephew. Uh, so they were in tandem. Uh, so New York also. Uh, my big mistake in New York was uh, it turning me into an alcoholic. Uh, I wouldn't say it turned me into. It exacerbated a problem that already existed. Um, <clears throat> and I just got to a point in my life where I was like, this is unmanageable and I need help to fix it. And so it was like the only people I know that can really help me is family. So I came back down here uh, to seek help from my brother and sister-in-law, who I currently live with. 
uh, moving out soon, baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but also the nephew was being born. I was like, I need to fix this shit and be dedicated to the family that I kind of had left behind uh, when I moved. So yeah, the two was like big enough. Like I'm, I'm real bad at moving for me. Uh, but <laughs> as soon as somebody else is like, you should move. I'm like, what? <laughs> I love this. advice. <laughs> Did somebody say that, uh, this is a terrible environment for you right now. You should move. Yeah. I was talking to my family for the last few months before I did move. And I was just like explaining to them what was going on up in New York. I was explaining like what had been going on with my drinking cycles. And my dad was the one like that I was talking to the most. And I was talking to my brother. So we were making plans about me moving down, but we hadn't set a date. Um, and one day during, uh, a real bad bender I was talking to my dad on the phone that morning and he was like I don't care what it takes buy a plane ticket today and go home and I packed a backpack full of stuff called a moving company told them to come get my stuff that weekend talk to my roommate uh, and literally in one day moved to North Carolina with nothing told my brother to come get me. My stuff came down here like three weeks later because my roommate in New York got it all taken care of. But it just got so bad. I was like, if I stay, it's going to get worse. And I need to bite the bullet and go. So you didn't even think about it. Like you were just like, it's time to do this. Uh, I felt like I was probably going to drink myself into a hole of death. Okay. Uh, were, were you a binge drinker or were you a... Uh... I could go sober for months at a time if I had my mindset. Uh, but once I had a beer, it was chaos. Yeah, so my binge would last a week, two weeks, and then sobriety for a month, and then binge again for a month. Did you go uh, cold turkey? When I came back, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I started going to AA pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, I also got a therapist who specializes in alcoholism. So, yeah, cold turkey. Well, sobriety and also uh, something we've talked about with two-ish other guests is um, seeking help as a guy because mm -hmm. uh, therapy isn't really taught to us, right? Sure. And yeah. looking, reaching out for help and stuff uh, is often viewed as weak and we don't want to admit we have problems and stuff. And obviously the first thing when it comes to excessive drinking or alcoholism uh, is you have to admit that there's a problem, mm -hmm. right? And um, was that what was that process like for you, as far as like admitting to yourself? So you you had known that you were unhealthy. Yeah, uh, I had tried AA a couple times, uh, but I was stubborn enough that I would go into AA and look at everybody and go, "I'm not as bad as these people, so I must not be." Uh, so it, it was just a series of justifications of oh, I'm not an alcoholic, I just need to control my drinking better. And then it just was a series of like realizing the pattern was telling myself I wasn't, falling back into a binge cycle, saying I have a problem, then saying I didn't have a problem, falling back. In. And then it was just like finally seeing the pattern and going, this is never going to stop. And then admitting it, fully just admitting it. And there are like different types of alcoholics, and I think that's what is confusing and hard for people to admit to, is to say like you are or aren't an alcoholic, because there are people who like literally can't be next to a drink, or else they will drink it. That is not me. It was the binge cycle. So like I was able to trick myself into sobriety from time to time. So I thought it was just a drinking problem. So the 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 process was looking at 20 years versus just going like, oh, I uncontrollably can't stop drinking. I could control it. I couldn't control it when I started drinking was the problem. So there's, there's a lot of science on it. It's hard to get into a bunch of it. Uh, so I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, everybody's journey is a little bit different with, with it. Well, it's like <clears throat> the most, in some ways, the most dangerous type of addict is like, uh, the crackhead who can keep the lights on uh -huh. because he, he's able to convince himself that he's okay, right? Um, 
Yeah, we've talked to a couple of, and I I had to go sober seven months ago too, so that's why I was asking about it. But um, I'm almost on seven. Yeah. Do you use an app? No, no. I just collect chips at AA. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just decided to go cold turkey. I was like, congrats. Yeah, uh, I could have done it so much cleaner. <laughs> I had to check into <laughs> ER. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, it was it was. I scared, I, well, maybe not because I scared myself sober because now I'm like, I don't know, man. If I take a shot, I might have a seizure, so. <laughs> oh. But, yeah. So what was it like starting over, like realizing that uh, you were going to have to start over? Was that daunting? Uh, no. Um, well, hard to say. Um I don't think it can be daunting when you just eradicated your whole life. So you're already starting over. It's not like sitting around thinking, I, I need to start over, and that's scary. It's you're at rock bottom, and the only direction is up. So it's like, so okay, here I am. Better buckle the fuck up and figure it out. So it's not daunting as much as it's like, cool. The, the weird part about it is like, it was the first time in a long time where I had a vision of goals. So it was like, okay, I've stopped drinking. Next goal, get a job. Next goal, uh, save some money. Next goal, get like, and then even coming here, it was like, get involved with the pit, start building an improv community, find people of like-mindedness. In New York, and even before New York, everything I was doing just felt lost because I had no direction, uh, and I also had nobody to guide me. Um, so it wasn't daunting because it was the first time I saw my future and it was clear the steps that I needed to do made sense. The only thing was like, it was a realization, I can never have a drink again if I want to do that. And you just have to not, like that, that's the end goal of it. It's like, I cannot have a drink again because all of that erases again down the road. That's the realization. That's the hard part is like realizing it's not not drinking. It's knowing, like, if I slip up once, everything I've done in the past six months dies. It's a lot. It's mm -hmm. a lot. So what you're saying is the improv community needs, like, a career projection sheet, like, like a direction so people don't feel directionless. Like, I've been doing improv two years. Now I'm here. Now I'm here. Like, uh... uh I don't know if it needs a direction, but improv is a hobby uh, in the end. It's just a hobby. So if your career aspirations, like improv is never going to be a career. Sketch can be. Um, so I think you just have to recognize, okay, improv is a hobby. Hey, what do I want to do with this? Maybe become an actor, go into some kind of comedic acting or whatever. Then you can start planning some steps. But if your just sole goal is to improvise, just keep improvising. Uh, when I got here... It just felt like the scene at the pit, at least, was stagnant. Like it didn't have any idea of what, where it was going. And everybody was kind of just in this malaise. So my whole idea with it was like, cool, just get everybody on the same page with what this is first. Let's start there. And then we can start talking about where to go with it. Who knows what that's going to be. I'm feeling it. Okay, okay, I like it. Like your email about community too. Just going. To, I like it. Okay, that was personal. Oh, it was like you just sent to me. Okay, yeah. Well. Please keep my emails out. That's fucking podcast. <laughs> I got uh, you. But anybody can email me brownc at gmail dot com. <laughs> you know, I'm always willing to chat about anything you got problems with, especially alcohol. <laughs> You're gonna help them out. Okay. Hey, I'm I'm happy. That's part of the twelve. I don't. I'm not a personal believer in the twelve step program for myself. Uh, I think it's an important part of uh, recovery. Uh, but one of the steps that I do believe firmly is being helpful to those in need uh, that are struggling with alcohol themselves. Uh, I think I have ruined enough people in my life by trying to get them to drink with me. That, <laughs> that, uh, helping some people out who need a hand. Because there are a lot of people out there who are in the, the exact same place of waffling between am I an alcoholic, am I not? And if I can sit there and just convince them, like, if you're already thinking that, you are. If I can help them get to that next point, I'm doing my job. 
like a skill sheet. Like, okay, uh, you drink these days and these days, uh, no. you artificially. <laughs> Coy Brown to, puts it on the table. It has nothing to do with how many drinks. Okay. It's if you are questioning if you okay. are or aren't, you are. Start a business, man. Like, <laughs> Coy Brown determines whether you're an alcoholic or not. Yeah, here's your meta card. <laughs> here's your meta card. I'm smelling a Wednesday night game show. <laughs> <laughs> I I would end up labeling everybody and I'm calling. Dude's gonna be like, I've never had a drink in my life. Shut up. <laughs> You're an alcoholic. Drink this, and then I watch his world collapse. Yeah, uh, but I love I I love still being around alcohol. That's the type of person I am. I like the social aspect of it. I like seeing people enjoy themselves. I now am at a point where I'm like, cool, I don't need to imbibe myself to still involve myself with it, uh, be around it, and watch people enjoy themselves. But the sober side of me is like, once people get drunk, I dip. Because <laughs> they become annoying <laughs> real quick. You don't like the drunk watch? For a tiny bit. Okay. The, the buzz watch is fun. Once people get drunk, loud, and antagonistic, it's time for me to go. Fair enough. Uh, side note, I researched you, uh, the first, (laughs) so I don't know if you remember, but, uh, in improv noir was a a thing and you were coming Mm -hmm. and I was like, who is Corey Brown? Let me research this dude. And you found my football team. Well, you have a football team? No, no, I don't. For a while, the first search (laughs) for Corey Brown was this random dude in like Oklahoma football. Uh, but no, that wasn't me. Uh, I found this like YouTube video of you doing improv. Like it was like uh, you were doing improv during a Google Hangout, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that a, like I didn't know people did improv like that. Like I didn't know. My friend Morgan was doing this project. Uh, it was like 500 improv scenes or whatever. But he just like kept contacting improvisers and just Google Hangout with an improviser, and he would post a different scene. Uh, once a week or multiple times a week until he got to like whatever his magic number was because at the time he wasn't on Harold Knight he had been improvising forever and he was such a good improviser but he improvised in such a way that he was like it was hard to see in an audition what made him great Uh, but he was so so dedicated and he had been in New York years before I was and I think he was probably there like 10 years before he ever finally got cast. But anyways, he was so dedicated to it that he was like, I need to be doing more. Stage time isn't always there. So he started doing it on video. Mm. He pushed himself to a place where he could still improvise so he could practice and get better. And the best practice is improvising with a vast array of different people. That was the best way he could do it. Find 500 people willing to do scenes all across the nation with him. Oh, shit. Okay, okay, I like that. Like you got that trademarked? Uh, I don't think you can trademark <laughs> Google that. <Hangout. laughs> Just start doing scenes with people all across the country. Um, what would you say, was that your two mistakes? Like, uh, I mean, alcoholism is a lifelong mistake, so that's that's the big one. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, any other mistakes that you've made? Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of, I mean, yes, a billion, uh, or else I wouldn't be who I am today. Um, but yeah, you got here too early, man. We were were setting up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I am the dude. I don't consider it a mistake, but I am the person who's 15 minutes early to everything. Same. Yeah. (laughs) I, I'm, I get a little anxious if I'm arriving on time. Okay. If I'm getting anywhere and my my GPS says exactly the minute of, I'm like I'm I'm late. In my mind, I'm already late if I'm on time. See, I'm see my 15 minutes is rel like relative, right? So I'm always 15 minutes early compared to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so you know I could be 10 minutes late, but still 15 minutes early. Right. Right. Most of the time. It uh. I have to be checked. Like if someone's like, yo, you have to be here on time, then I'm on time. But if no one says it, I'm like, oh, it's optional. And then it's never optional. (laughs) I need to get in that mindset. (laughs) 
Like I was, I almost missed my friend's wedding. Like I got, they were shutting the doors as I got in and this because no one was like, yo, you should be here early. If someone had said that and sent me a personal message, yo, get here on, on time or early. I just don't, how many books, articles, keynotes have you seen that have mentioned showing up early is on time, showing up on time is late? You know what? Professionally. I've never, I never, I'm not late to shows. <laughs> <laughs> what have I been late to show? My point is, I want to be the first person professional that is maybe late to everything that makes it, you know? Why can't I be the person that just pushes that agenda forward? No, there are many people like that. <laughs> None of them are doing well. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Hey, maybe you're the first. Right, little mistakers, keep an eye out for McNeil's book, Fashionably Late. <laughs> coming out, due November 1st, coming out January 2nd. <laughs> what do you think about mistakes? Like, what is your overall opinion of mistakes? Uh, that question is very broad. Um, I think, obviously, every mistake is what you learn from. Has to be. Uh, everything... Uh, if we want to put it in comedic terms, uh, every mistake is an unusual moment in life or else you wouldn't even notice it as a mistake. Every good thing that you notice in life is also unusual or, or else you wouldn't notice it's a good thing. Everything mundane and normal goes by you without you recognizing it. So a mistake is something you can just visually see which I think is always a good thing because it enters your brain in a way where you're like, ooh, I need to do something with this. So I know people dwell on mistakes in a negative way, and I don't think that's bad as long as it's not interfering with your life. I think that allows you to process what happened in that mistake and move on from it, good or bad, um, as long as you don't let it beat you up. But I think it's okay to think about mistakes often. Like, I think... I need to remind myself about my drinking because it helps me relive like how good my life is now because of it. If I try to sh shy away from that and hide it, then I'm back in the normal mundane every day and day to day is boring. But if I revisit drinking, I'm like, shit, life was shitty six months ago. Now every day, every day today is something I can look forward to and be excited to. I work in a warehouse now and it's like, a job where I'm just lifting stuff all day, but it's a better life because <laughs> it, it's not me drinking anymore. Okay. Can't drink and pick up boxes. I mean, I you can. <laughs> <laughs> I love mornings now. Right? And going to bed. It's so <laughs> crazy how like 10 years from 17 to like 26, 27, I never had a good morning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then you go on a sober run for like two days and during the sober run, you're like, why aren't I always like this? And then you get so excited that you're so happy you go drink. <laughs> <laughs> Celebrate. Yeah. So I think mistakes are, I think people look at them so bad that they forget that they're useful and life needs to be viewed as a spectrum. Like people, uh, People talk about perfection and trying to achieve perfection, which we know is not something achievable. I think perfection is the gray area where everything's slightly good, slightly bad. We don't want to dip into absolute chaos and we don't want to dip too high into absolute perfection, which doesn't exist. But if we can just notice that the slight bads and the slight goods, the small mistakes and the small positive things that are in our life are all combined, that gray area is actually the perfect place to be. Go too low, it's terrible. Go too high, it can also be terrible. Because then you set up false expectations for your future. Ooh, life is this good forever? No, it can't be. You're going to dip back in the gray. Just went deep on us. Well, went deep. I, I'm down for gray. We getting into sex jokes now? <laughs> <laughs> I've stopped that part of my life. I don't want to relapse. Now that's who you are. That's who you are. Don't fight it. Also, yeah, maybe you should start drinking. <laughs> I mean, but just think about that, though. Yeah. Like, you can probably look at your, your sex life jokes and go, like, that was a bad time in your life. Technically, mistake. And now it makes you appreciate who you've become as a comedian since then. But if you don't rethink about that, then what is today? Well, today is a day where 
even if it's your first time on stage, uh, you shouldn't be making sex jokes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Make make love jokes. Yeah, <laughs> thank Stop you. calling it sex. It's fucking or making love. <laughs> I don't have sex. Oh, I only man. smash. Doing <laughs> <laughs> a Super Smash Bros. later? <laughs> Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Woo. I love watching those dudes smash. <laughs> oh, I went back to my first set recently, like listened to it. Uh-huh. Very bad. Very not not even just bad because it's well, people were laughing, but it was I had a racism joke in there. Like I I played an Indian. Nice. Horrible. It was about me working at IBM. Cancel this man. (laughs) Cancel this man. I'm your new soul host from now on. (laughs) Yeah, I get canceled. And then I made jokes about the friend zone. Canceled. Canceled. Yeah. (laughs) Bad, bad, bad. But that's the part of it. You got to do it first. Nobody comes out of the gate just crushing it at stand up. Someone's having a gender reveal party in the background. The listeners wanted to know what that cheering was. Uh, What do you think it was? Whatever it wants to be. (laughs) Not wants to be. Whatever it is. Fair enough. I like to think that both parents are happy out there. They're cheering. They have a child on the way. Or eight. They get to be unhappy if it's eight. eight. Could be eight. <laughs> Will you say that your goals are uh, your primary motivation for staying sober? Uh, no. My primary motivation for staying sober is uh, there's no other option. Like drinking yeah. again just isn't an option. Uh-huh. My goals are just there. Those are things I would like so to they're happen. like byproducts of yeah. having a... Yeah. I know if I start drinking again, those goals are destroyed. Uh-huh. Like no matter what, uh, <laughs> I become a person that I don't like again. Um, Were you an anchor? You seem like you'd be a happy drunk. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm also the person you can't tell is drunk. Hey, uh, and then when I do get too drunk, I just go to bed. So that, like, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I do push other people to drink more, though. Like, I'm that dude. I don't fall in love and hug everybody, but I'm just like, you need a shot, man. Yeah. And I will buy it. Oh, you're the buy it person. I'm the buyer. Okay. Dangerous. Yeah. I still do it sober. I'll buy anybody a beer just because last night I bought two people a beer because I don't know they were having a tough day. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, if I need like to smoke or something, like you, you. I mean, if it's, if it's so bad and I, you just needed it, I'd run to the store and buy cigarettes for somebody. Okay. Okay. That's what I was Ladies, I'll to. buy you so many cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> so we have this surprise that I like to surprise people with. Okay, you shouldn't say it with that voice. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> we have a surprise, Corey. All right. Are you ready for the surprise? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, we have Cancel. Our- Cancel this man. <laughs> uh, we have this, uh, we like to call it a motivational speech. Our little mistakers uh, get a motivational speech from our guests. We put some music behind it later on, uh, but uh, yeah. I feel like I've been doing that this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good. Uh, so like a TED talk. Anything? Like it's like you just walked out on stage. Whatever you think little mistakers need to hear. Uh, so I think the thing that I learned the most uh, before I became, or before I like recognized my own alcoholism, uh, the thing that held me back the longest was this notion of normalcy uh, and wanting to be whatever that was. Um, And knowing my whole life was surrounded with me mentally being weird and having thoughts of my own that I hid away uh, because I didn't want to be outcasted from social status different places, different people. And it wasn't until I was like in my 30s that I embraced that Corey Brown's a weird dude and his emotions and needs are fine regardless of whatever they were. And once I got over this fear of being myself and like saying weird is okay, once I accepted that everything in my life became so much better. Like 
I saw people that I admired, but in my head, I was like, they're awkward and weird. Even though they're amazing comedians, I don't want to be them. And it held me back on stage because I didn't want to let those true feelings out. The key, the key to comedy, like in the end becomes vulnerability. Your jokes are your truth. And if you're afraid of your own truth, you cannot succeed in comedy. You can't. Uh, you can have a modest career at it because anybody can write jokes. But once you get past the jokes, then you have to start revealing yourself because the jokes only take you so far. Like if you watch anybody's great career, like let's say Chappelle, who's like very polarizing these days. If you watch his original stand-up, it's just jokes. Then you watch his middle career, it's jokes about his life. And now he's just on stage telling truths about himself. And yes, he offends a lot of people while doing it but it's 100% truth to who he is. That's where you have to get to. And it took me recognizing like, Corey, it's okay to be weird to finally like become who I am today, uh, which is why when I started improv, I was shitty because I was just trying to be funny, but I didn't know who I was. So how could I be funny if I don't know who I am? So I'm just trying to mimic and mirror other people's funny. So little mistakes out there. What I'm saying is you're all fucking weirdos. And it's fine. Accept it. Get a tattoo that says weirdo. Then cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do you get to a place of accepting yourself? Follow up question to your speech. Uh, I mean, that's for everybody to find. Uh, but I think if kind of like alcoholism, if you're ever asking yourself if I am a way you are there's no other reason you're asking that am I weird yes but it's also fine and what is weird you're only weird because you have this projection of what normal is and you're outside of that normal and then you're like oh I'm weird no actually you're not weird you're normal as shit because everybody's weird some of us just fight it too hard I don't, I, that is like the summary of the whole, the whole thing is just be yourself, accept yourself, grow. I I don't have a comment on that. I'm trying to think of a joke. Uh, All right, dicks. <laughs> like, dicks, I got to go back to my old self. Dicks, dicks. Uh, I think that's tough, like learning to accept yourself. Like I still don't think I'm there yet. You know, like. Uh, I don't think anybody's ever always there, fully there. Yeah. I think because you're always going to change as well. Uh and it's fine if you, like, regardless of where you are, it's fine. Like, who cares? I think, like, we all think we're special. <laughs> and none of us are. And that's fine. Like, who's special? <laughs> like, if you look at Kim Kardashian, yeah, she's making billions of dollars. But she still goes home and she cries. She still has fears. She's uh, so Kanye's nuts <laughs> he made a song about chick-fil-a and i'm bumping it still phenomenally nuts though <laughs> uh but in the end of the day they they all still have the same anxiety panics fears questions worries about who they are and i think like honestly the power of aa to me was like not aa not the 12 steps not uh not even accepting that i was an alcoholic it was watching everybody else before going to NAA thinking I was alone in this world with my alcoholism, even though I knew tons of people were alcoholics, still felt alone because I was isolating myself from it. But getting to AA and going like, oh, I'm not special. I'm not the only one who thinks and feels this way. All of you do. And knowing 50 people in that room are that way and knowing across the city and across the state, there's hundreds of those meetings happening simultaneously across the nation, across the world, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people dealing with the same problem. I'm not special. It's fine to not be special. Little mistakers, you are not special not. whatsoever. But to me, some of y'all are my number one with the lemonade. <laughs> Straight from Kanye West's mouth. Close on Sundays. <laughs> You're my Chick-fil-A. I don't eat it, but I support that song. <laughs> uh, what do you what do you want to leave the people with? Like your final like Instagram lines, uh, emails. Uh, I mean, honestly, come check out the pit. 
I think we're doing some really good stuff these days. I'm proud of everybody who was here before I got here. I'm really excited that people kind of just embraced me coming in and getting my hands dirty with it. And I don't know where it's going next, but I see positive things happening here. I like that you took over, by the way. Thank you. The first time I uh, I didn't sign up for a time, and you're like, yeah, you can't get on stage. You said it nicer than that. I was like, thank you. Like, Fuck you. Dude. <laughs> thank you. Like, I, people could just walk on, do whatever, show up late. I was like, we need some order in here. You know, I thought I was special. I thought I was just going to get to, like, yo, Corey, let, let me on stage. Oh, we need diversity up there. Oh, hop yeah. on up, bro. He going to let me. What's up, brother? I'm just about to hop on stage real quick. You want me to go buy you cigarettes? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what do you want to leave the people with? Uh, follow me on Instagram, Andrew Gleason NC. Follow me on uh I'm on Twitter, Andrew Gleason Comedy, uh, Gleason Comedy, TikTok, I'm on there too. You don't sound excited for us to follow you. I'm just, you know, this was a deep episode. I'm thinking about things. Oh, okay. Uh, y'all like had a bond over uh, y'all's past. I felt left out a little bit. <laughs> Become an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> so I could jump on. <laughs> we'll do this again in three years. Uh, yeah, sure. What's the qualifications? Like, do you have to be an alcoholic for a year before you like you can fit in? No, if you're an alcoholic, you're already an alcoholic. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, follow me. I keep it McReal. Remember, everybody makes mistakes, but it's okay. Uh, learn to find humor in your mistakes. Thank you, little mistakers. We out.